Chapter Thirty, Part Three of the Fall River Tragedy by Edwin H. Porter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty, Twelfth Day of the Trial, Part Three. Bridget Sullivan, who lived in the family two years and nine months, who was nearer to all of them than anybody else, tells you the condition of the household. She says, though brought in constant contact with them, she never heard anything out of the way. There was no quarrelling. Everything seemed cordial among them. The girls did not always go to the table. They were often out late, and I suppose they did not get down to breakfast as early as the old folks. The longer ago you were born, the earlier you will probably rise now. If you were born seventy years ago, you will probably be up in the morning at four o'clock, and be disposed to find fault with the Creator that it cannot be summer all the time with more light and longer days. But the girls did not come until they wanted to. They had a right to do that. Bridget says she never heard a word of complaint. And mark you, that Thursday morning on which they tell you that Lizzie was entertaining that purpose or plan to murder both those people, that is, their theory is what they will undertake to satisfy you of, that Lizzie was talking to Mrs. Borden. Bridget Sullivan says, I heard them talking together calmly, without the least trouble, everything all right. Mr. Borden talks about the meal, and the conversation goes on in the usual way, without the slightest indication of any ill feeling. That is the way my people do at home. That is the way your family greets you in ordinary conversation. They are waiting for you to come back, just now, and they will meet you in the same way I know, and there will be no suspicion about it. Oh, they say, just look at her, wretch and fiend and villain that she was. She could put all this on when she had terrors unimaginable in her heart, and purposes that no language could describe. Well, gentlemen, you have to judge of people according to the ordinary things. There being no proof of such purposes on her part, you will not justify yourselves in ascribing them to her. You will remember that Mrs. Raymond, the dressmaker, a lady to all appearances, came and testified of their being together a few months before, four of them being dressmaking, sitting in the guest chamber sewing a regular dressmaking party philip harrington ought to have been there and had the whole style developed to him to learn more than he knows if it is possible to put anything into his head on the subject there they are was that an angry family was that a murderous group you take another thing you have them there as bridget says and there is no evidence to the contrary they have told you the whole thing when Emma Borden comes on the sand to tell the inside condition of the family, they will say to you that Miss Emma Borden, the sister who was away from home on a visit at this time, against whom they have not the slightest suspicion, they will say that her sisterly affection carries her along to swing her from the truth. You'll judge of her. I will not apologize for her. She has a right to be where her sister is. It is creditable that she does stand by her, and it will take a long time for a man in his heart to say she is untruthful for telling what she does here. She went on to say that they had trouble five or six years ago in regard to property, and there was no resentment so far as Lizzie was concerned. It was all adjusted. When we get the open and unrestrained testimony of Miss Emma, we are told there was trouble. The father had put in Mrs. Borden's hands a piece of property, and she says, we did not feel satisfied, and we told him so. And then came the word to us through another person, Your father is all ready to give you a property for yourselves, to make it even if you will only ask for it. They asked for it, and got it. And Emma says she never felt right about it afterwards. She says up to the day of the death of Mrs. Borden, she had not overlooked it. But she says as to Lizzie, there never was any trouble about it, never was after that time. There is a difference between the two girls. One blurts out exactly as she feels, the other bears what she is called upon to endure in silence. You will find the same separate and distinct dispositions often in the same family. From that time, five years, more than half of it, covered by the residence of Bridget Sullivan, there is no word of any trouble or indication of anything except this remark made by Mrs. Gifford. If you take it all, what is there in that that signifies anything? Enough to find the motive for these dastardly crimes. But there is another thing. Here was an old man with two daughters, an elderly one and a younger one. 
they had gone on together he was a man that wore nothing in the way of ornament or jewellery but one ring and that ring was lizzie's it had been put on many years ago when lizzie was a little girl and the old man wore it and it lies buried with him in the cemetery he liked lizzie did he not he loved her as his child and the ring that stands of plighted faith and love that typifies the dearest relationship that is ever created in life that ring was the bond of union between the father and the daughter no man should be heard to say that she murdered the man that so loved her the old-fashioned man lived in a simple way did not care anything about the frivolities of life was not attractive perhaps to some of the younger and go-ahead people but was one who lived in his own way had worked himself up to be what would be called a fortune had taken care of it was then superintending its use and the income and for all that on his little finger was that ring which belonged to his little girl you tell me if you want that the relation between that parent and child was such that alienation was complete and wrong was the purpose of her heart but you will not ask me to believe it mind you that on this question of the relations of these people there is not a word that comes from mr morse of any ill feeling or from miss russell or any other living person so i think you will agree with me that there is not anything whatever in this assumption that the feelings were such that the defendant could have had guilty intent and worked out this guilty act i pass the learned district attorney in his opening said that there was an impassable wall built up through that house but the moment we got at the wall down it went doors flew open and instead of showing a line in the house shut in and hedged in by locks we find that mr borden's room was doubly and trebly locked bridget's room was locked and mrs borden's door was locked and you find miss lizzie's room locked as well as emma's the guest chamber is locked the parlour and sitting-room i don't know but what everything and that was all because there had been a burglary in the house and barn and mr borden old-fashioned in that he was thought they wanted to lock the house pretty securely he kept a safe in that back room which kept valuables this was locked day and night and not a little care was given to the fastening of the doors and all parts of the house but you see the impassable wall was not as against the two girls but was simply a matter of protection to keep people out if it was an impassable wall and not to keep people out why did they have a lock on the door to the back stairs and why did they lock up the attics they say she rushed in from the outside and discovered the homicide there is no proof of that in another place they say she did not go out of the house they claim in one breath that she did not go out to the barn and then say that she ran in and discovered the homicide rushed in from where if she did not go out but if after she discovered it she passed in and saw the horrible sight the testimony shows that she retreated to the side of the room and got as far from it as she could she undoubtedly dreaded an attack from the murderer who had killed her father and she stood at the closed screen door with the open wood door behind it and shouted to bridget bridget was the quickest to respond she could not go to the front part of the house without passing the horrible sight her dead father where could she go where would you go under the circumstances she called for bridget to run and get someone as quickly as she could if she had murdered those two people do you think she would have called for bridget as quick as that wouldn't she have gone down the street or done something of that kind where she would not have been in such close proximity to the scene of this tragedy but she went and shouted for bridget and asked her to come down all in the trepidation and alarm to find mr borden killed you cannot faint away you cannot look pale when you try to and so when bridget had gone this woman stood pale and trembling by the open door on that august morning looking over she saw mrs churchill mrs churchill too saw her and noticed the distress she was in and as she stood by the closed window where she could not speak to her she hurried at once to the open window and called out oh lizzie what is the matter have you any patience with any man who will tell you that lizzie stood at that door that morning like a marble statue without any feelings i have told you about mrs borden all those three people were sick in the house on tuesday including lizzie it was in august weather and whether they had eaten something or the weather had caused it we do not know but the government seems to be floundering around with the idea that because bridget was not sick they had been poisoned 
There was talk about poison, and poison was feared in the family, because all had been made sick. Then they say for some reason, I do not know what, that Miss Lissy went downstairs in the cellar that Thursday night. There had been people there, examining the rooms and looking over the bodies, and there was water in the pitcher up in her room, and people had been washing there during the day, that Mrs. Holmes said, if I should stay there all night, I should want the slop pail emptied. But that house was surrounded by policemen, and Officer Hyde was there, and Miss Lizzie had a full-grown kerosene lamp in her hand, and the windows were all open, with ample opportunity for observers outside to see in, and those within the house knew that policemen were all around, so that there was nothing concealed. Now a person who is going to do anything to cover up crime will not carry an electric light with him. The criminal goes into the dark to do his dark deed. Miss Lizzie did not see anybody, though they say Officer Ferguson was in front, but he is not brought forward, and if he were, he could not see through two high board partitions. That would tax the energy and perspicacity of even a Fall River policeman. Then they say she burned a dress. Well, the general thought in the mind of everybody is that if a person burns up anything in connection with some important transaction, he does it to get out of the way for the purpose of avoiding observation. That is natural. The government stakes its case on that dress. The government says, You gave us up the blue dress that lies before me. That is not the dress. You practically commit a falsehood by giving us that. The defendant says that this is the dress. The government says, We want that Bedford cord. And if we had that Bedford cord, we should know all about it. And you burned the Bedford cord. Now, let us look at it. There is a dispute here. A disagreement, not intentional but unavoidable, among the persons who saw what Lizzie had on that morning, some of them saying she had on this very dress, or a dark blue dress, and another, and Mrs. Churchill speaking of it as a light blue coming almost up to a bay blue, or something a good deal lighter than this. Now between the two there is a difference of recollection. Just as good people on one side say it was a dark blue, and those on the other who say it was a light blue, but you will remember that at that time there were several ladies and Bridget was there with a lighter coloured dress and that those who speak of a lighter coloured dress may have had in mind what Bridget had on. It was not a time for examining colours and afterward they recollected as well as they could. They are good, honest people but some of them are mistaken and of course are not willfully stating what they do not believe to be the fact. So there is only a conflict of testimony about that. That dark blue dress lying here is given as the one that Lizzie had on. They say, you had a light blue dress on. We say, it is not so. But we say to you, when we produced the dark blue dress, you took it and put it into the hands of Dr. Dolan, the medical examiner, and you went away with it and used it in framing your indictment. And now you find through Professor Wood, a man who knows something, instructing Dr. Dolan that there is not and never was any blood on it. Then the government does not want that dress, but another. They want the Bedford cord. We will talk about it then. Let us look at it. Suppose they had this Bedford cord. Lizzie had it on this morning, you say. This is the present theory. The government said she had it on up to twelve o'clock, so that she did not change to the pink wrapper until that time. The witnesses all say, and every single person who has testified, that while she was there and about with them, including Mrs. Churchill, Bridget and Dr. Bowen, Mrs. Bowen and others. There was not a particular spot of blood on it. They say there was no blood on her hands, her face or hair. I'm talking now of the dress principally. Now recollect that she had that on. Policemen were coming in all about there. She was lying on the lounge. They tell you that that dress was covered or had blood spots on it and not a living person saw or suggested it. Suppose she did burn it up. The time that had elapsed for observation would be long enough. They had all had it to look at at that time. They had all seen her, and everyone says there was not a spot of blood on it. So you see you start with a dress that every one of the witnesses they produce says did not have blood upon it. Now you have removed from that all idea that the dress was burned with a wrongful intent because all the witnesses say it was perfectly clear of blood. Now, what more? That dress was in that closet. You gentlemen saw it over the front door. 
and there it remained. In that closet were eighteen or twenty dresses, and the government witnesses claimed that they did not see any such dress, notwithstanding that Miss Lizzie had eight blue dresses, of different shades, in that whole closet. They examined and did not see any that had a particle of blood upon them, and so the pretense of the government is that the dress was not in there. But Miss Emma says that when she came home on Thursday night, she went to the closet room to put away her clothes, and that on Saturday night she was there again, and that dress was hanging on the second row of the nails that were driven into the edge of the shelf. She says she discovered that old dress hanging there, that had been covered with paint ever since May, and by covered with paint I mean stained and daubed with it. She spoke to Lizzie about it, saying, why don't you get rid of that thing? I can't find a place to hang my dress on. It had been in there, and on Saturday night they ransacked this place, and found the dress which they supposed had blood upon it. They carried it to Dr. Dolan, who made the discovery, certain to their mind, that would convict this woman, and so they did not want anything else. They went through the form of looking over everything else, but had got the damning evidence here. But when Dr. Dolan conversed with a man who knew something, they were told it was not blood at all, and then they said, get another dress. Now, is it true? Was there grease or paint on it? We have brought you the painter here that painted that house a week earlier in May, and we have brought a dressmaker who made the dress, and the painter has told us that Lizzie did the superintending of the painting, and got up at six o'clock in the morning to see that the paint was of the proper colour and says that she tried it upon the side of the house. You have heard Mr. Gruard, who testified that that dress had got soiled, and said it was not fit to wear. And then it was not worn of any account except on the days when she had dirty work to do, and Emma knew about it, Mrs. Raymond knew about it, and it is the indisputable fact that it was besmeared with paint, and it was not fit for anything else. Why, we are talking about a dress that did not cost but twelve and a half or fifteen cents a yard, and took eight or nine yards to make it, and did not cost altogether, when it was commenced, probably over two dollars, and was not good for anything after they got it done, because the material was so poor, wearing out and fading out, and then it got dirty, got paint on it, and what more did they want of it? As Emma said, put it out of the way, why do you keep the old thing this morning you remember was after the police had searched everything in the house so completely that there was nothing more to be found unless they took the paper off the walls and the carpet off floors and we will take their word for it unless that there was nothing more to be seen and nothing more to be found and they had all they wanted and had got her clothes and her stockings and even an unmade dress pattern and wanted to see if that had not been made up into some sort of mantle to wrap her up in. They had got the whole thing, and had looked over everything, and had taken all they could find and all they wanted, and notified them they had all got through. Then, in obedience to Emma's injunction, Lizzie walks down into the kitchen, with it that Sunday morning, the windows all open, no blinds shut, policemen in the yard looking right in at everything that was going on, and deliberately and in the presence of emma emma saying to her well i think you had better do it put it into the fire and burned it up had she not time enough thursday morning down to that time to burn it up without anybody knowing it if it was covered with blood had not she time enough to get it out of the way and if she had that purpose to cover up this crime if she had committed it would she have burned it in the presence of her sister and miss russell and said she was going to do it that is not humanly probable now you have got the whole thing about the dress there is no concealment about it and when miss russell in her trepidation and having been advised by somebody about it came to her and said i think you have done the worst thing you could in burning that dress lizzie spoke up in her prompt and honest way saying oh why did you let me do it then reproaching them for not advising her against it and, truthful as they are, when they knew Miss Russell had been questioned about the matter, they said, tell all you know about it. 
and miss russell walks to the man hanscom and says she has come to tell him because they said go and tell about it lizzie said go and tell all about it it does not hurt people sometimes to tell the truth to tell all about it but gentlemen hang upon that one blue dress they have it in the testimony now they know all about it their own witnesses that they bring do not help them at all in this theory but i ask them this if lizzie borden killed her mother at nine forty five o'clock that morning and then was ready to come downstairs and greet her father and meet him having on the blue dress do you think that is probable besmeared and bedaubed as she would have been with the blood of the first victim standing astride and chopping her head into pieces by these murderous blows blood flying all over the walls and furniture on the bed and everywhere and she wasn't touched at all with blood then of course they are going to say oh but she changed her dress and then when she killed her father she either had that back again or put on another did she have it back again then she had to put that on over her clothes again and over her person exposing herself to have her underclothing soiled in that way a thing not probable in any way and then if she put on another dress then there were two dresses to burn instead of one the government only wants one they have all the rest think of it she walked right into the sea of blood and stood there slashing it over herself in the first murder then went and took off that dress and laid it away until her father came in and then dressed herself for the second slaughter then they say that she murdered these two people because mrs reagan i forbear almost to mention her name came up here and told you that those sisters had a quarrel and that lizzie said to emma you have given me away gentlemen if there is anybody given away in this case it is mrs hannah reagan we have got right over among the reporters for the solid truth now and we have got john r coldwell and thomas f hickey and john j manning they come from different papers and different cities and these gentlemen tell you they went to mrs reagan and she said there was not a word of truth in it and while mr coldwell was trying to find out the facts from marshal hilliard that official in the abundance of his politeness told him to get out my learned friend asked hickey if it was not a scoop between the boston globe and the boston herald and they say that possibly she contradicted herself on some little things and you noticed the humour there was about it when philip harrington said i advised her not to submit to another interview that day i thank him but in walked the rest of the score and they proceeded to interview not asking harrington's leave and harrington himself went there that night again to try his search over with her that is the way they dealt with her now gentlemen there is not one of them that interpreted in the light of the common everyday transaction in the household is entitled to your credit and if not then you cannot group them so as to make them strong or of any influence she did not try to get bridget out of the house if she had undertaken to do these deeds think you not that she would not have sent bridget down street to buy something to go for the marketing to go to the store one thing and another or send her on some errand and then have had her time undisturbed you know that she would but instead of that everything goes on as usual and bridget was about the work lizzie happens to walk out to the door and bridget says to her you need not lock the door i will be around here bridget knew what the habit of the house was and so she said you need not lock that door i will be around here so lizzie did not lock it lizzie called her attention later after she got the work done and that they say after mrs borden was killed she called her attention to locking the doors if she went out because she herself might go out and she spoke to her about the cheap sale at sergeant's and there is no doubt about that being true because they could readily find out in fall river whether there was any cheap sale at sergeant's at that time now these are the grounds on which the government will claim or has claimed and i don't know what other theories they have claimed the guilt of the prisoner who did it and what did it you see last year they had the theory about these other things and if they could have tried the case at that time they would have sought to convict this woman on those first four they now do not dare to say that they would ask to convict her even upon these they say it may have been is the government trying a case of may have beens 
will the judges tell you as they charge you that you can convict this defendant upon a theory that it may have been i think not never and if they cannot tell you that that is the implement that committed the crimes where is it fall river seems to be prolific of hatchets perhaps if we wait a while there will be another one born possibly the district attorney or the officers over there not the district attorney for i don't think he has anything to do with it to do justice to him or possibly some officer will find some other hatchet and want to bring it in well we are thankful gentlemen that this woman was not tried last august or september because then if she had gone to trial on the things that are now declared to be innocent and they had convicted her with the cow's hair and the appearances of blood she possibly would now have been beyond their recall although they had actually put her to death wrongfully so much for the theory of experts and now we are asked at this time to take up another one that they do not vouch for and that they did not dare to stand on and we are asked to submit this defendant to that incriminating evidence which they say they are not sure about or may have been and they want to convict her now on things they do not know anything about and do not claim to know anything about and put it out of their power six months hence to tell them if she knows anything about somebody else committing these murders they have had her for ten months in close control it has been irksome and wearisome and wearing bad as the government would represent her home to be and falsely so bad as they would picture it it is a paradise compared with a jail and they have transferred her such is the process of the law from her home into the custody of the state and they thought that tuesday's sickness and wednesday morning's sickness was caused by some irritant poison but mr wood said no everything is all right no blood no poison nothing whatever he has practically said to these men hold on you are going too far you cannot go this way now failing that as i argue to you they have unmistakably they proceed upon the theory who did it now we are not obliged to resort to that as i told you at the outset the question is is this defendant a guilty person and that is all but they say and they say they would prove to you that there is exclusive opportunity well gentlemen i meet it right squarely i say that if they can lock into that house bridget and lizzie alone and without having any other way for any other person to get in and no other person does get in and two persons are found dead i am ready to say that mr borden did not kill his wife in that way and then afterward kill himself i am sure about that but the exclusive opportunity is nothing but an anticipation that was not realized as i think we have shown you they said nobody else could have done it emma was gone morse was gone there is no doubt about that bridget was outdoors they said and later in her room they said that the defendant was really shut up in the house with the two victims and that everybody else was actually and absolutely shut out now i think you and i will agree about the evidence the cellar door was undoubtedly locked i mean the one outside i have no doubt of that the front door in the usual course so says the evidence was bolted up by lizzie wednesday night and unbolted by her thursday morning now they assume she bolted it wednesday night but they are not going to assume i suppose that in the usual course she unbolted it thursday morning but i do because that is the evidence leaving only the spring lock on when she unbolted it they say you do not know that well i say you do not know it and you have got the burden of proof not i it was fastened by the bolt when bridget let mr borden in that is true the bolt and the key the side screen door gentlemen was unfastened from about nine o'clock to ten forty five or eleven that is when bridget was washing windows and about the house and around the premises in the way she said she was now if that door wasn't locked gentlemen lizzie wasn't locked in and everybody else wasn't locked out was it so the screen door unfastened you know bridget said to lizzie you needn't lock the door i am going to be around here there is no doubt about it bridget says she didn't lock it then there was a perfect entrance to that house by the rear screen door wasn't there and when the person got in all he had to do was to avoid meeting bridget and lizzie bridget was outdoors she wasn't in the way and therefore there was but one person in the house so far as appears one person below 
against whom the intruder could run. Now look at it. Bridget was outside, talking with the Kelly girl, over there on the south side, away off at the corner. She said plainly and decidedly, there was nothing to hinder anybody going right in. Mr. Borden had gone down street, and there was nobody there on the outside but Bridget, and she was everywhere on the outside. She washed the parlour windows. You know how those are. She couldn't see the side door when she was there. She went to the barn seven or eight times for water, she says. It may have been more. She was at the dining-room windows on the north side of the house, and she said that when she was there she couldn't even see into the dining-room, because the windows are so high that unless a person stood up close to the window, they couldn't see in. Now see the significance of that. The government will be going to claim. She stood there, and she could have seen way across into the sitting-room, but she could not. She was washing the windows with a pole and brush. She wasn't up on the steps on the outside. And then Lizzie was about the house as usual. She was in the house and about the house, doing just the same as any decent woman does, attending to her work, ironing handkerchiefs, going up and down stairs, going down to the cellar, to the closet. You say these things are not all proved? No, but I am taking you into the house just as I would go into the house, for instance, and say... What are your wives doing now? Well, doing the ordinary work around the house, getting dinner. Well, where do they go? Undoubtedly they are going downstairs for potatoes, going out into the kitchen, to the sink room, here and there. You can see the whole thing. It is photographed in your mind. It is just the same there. She was ironing. She was in the dining room. Bridget says she don't know, but she had the dining room door shut to keep the heat out and she would have occasion to go down cellar for reasons stated. Might she have gone into the parlour for anything? There was a clock there. There are various things you might think about. Now suppose the assassin came there, and I have shown you that he could without question. The house was all open on the north side, and suppose he came there and passed through. Suppose Lizzie was upstairs. Suppose she were downstairs in the cellar. He passed through. Where could he go? Plenty of places. He could go upstairs into the spare room, right up the front stairs, and go in there. He could go into that hall closet where you opened it and looked in, and where two men can go in and stand. He could go into the sitting-room closet. He could go into the pantry there in the kitchen. You saw that. He could go into various places. He could go into just such places in that house as all these thieves run into if they find a door open. So it was easy enough for a man to do that. It was easy enough for him to go up into that bedchamber and secrete himself. Now, what is going to be done? He is there for the murder, not to murder Mrs. Borden, but to murder Mr. Borden. And he is confronted and surprised by the former. And he knows, possibly he is somebody that she knew. You do not know. She cannot tell us. Somebody that would be recognized and identified. And he must strike her down and his purpose to kill Mr. Borden would not stop at the intervention of another person, and Lizzie and Bridget and Mrs. Borden, any or all of them, would be slaughtered if they came in that fellow's way. Now at that time in the morning, with the opportunity to go in there and go up into all the house, and when he went in there and had murdered Mrs. Borden in that front chamber, Lizzie could pass up and down stairs and could go to her room, and know nothing about it, see nothing about it, because, of course, he did not have the door open and disclose himself. She could pass up and down stairs. There is no trouble about that. Closed door or open door. And when he had done his work and Mr. Borden had come in, as he could hear him, he made ready then to come down at the first opportunity. And when he came down, he would very naturally leave the door open. And so they found it afterward, the door, I mean, to the spare chamber. He could come down and he was right at the scene ready. Bridget was outdoors, Lizzie outdoors, on all the evidence which you certainly believe, and then he could do his work quickly and securely, and pass out the same door, if you please, that he came in at, the side door. Now that is not all. It is well enough to see that a person could come in at the front door. The bolt slid back in the morning, the latch locked. A man can open that door, they all say, by giving it a pressure, and trying to come in. And when he gets in, what does he do? He doesn't want to be surprised. 
he locks the door himself he takes care of himself and then when mr borden comes it is slid back by bridget and left in that way it is easy to see all these things you can see then how everything in this idea of exclusive opportunity falls to the ground because there was no exclusive opportunity now it is not for us to maintain a theory it is for the government to prove theirs you may adopt a theory just as well as i you may find other theories as i have no doubt you will as you look at this evidence you will see other ways in which persons could enter that house by which the exclusive opportunity theory is overturned it is not a matter for you to sit down in the jury-room and criticise the theory that i have advanced to you because you are going to sit down in the jury-room and criticise the theory that the government advances and you will see that it is vulnerable and when you see that a person can take one of those theories as well as another you will hear from the court that you cannot convict upon such evidence because all the essential facts must be in harmony with this charge against the prisoner and must not be in harmony with any other theory or any other reasonable explanation now there are two or three things which in the hurry of speaking this morning perhaps you thought i had not hurried but speaking rapidly they were inadvertently passed by little things but i want to speak of them before i pass on miss lizzie was ironing downstairs and there cannot be any question about that bridget says so and you recollect the testimony of miss russell and mrs holmes that that morning when they were clearing up they found the handkerchiefs that she had ironed in part and the sprinkled ones were carried upstairs and put away separately by themselves a dozen or more you see that is genuine it is not a fiction it is really one of those little things that help to establish the truth i must also in this connection speak of mr medley's testimony because the commonwealth relied upon mr medley to make the examination as he said of the dust in the barn to show you that miss lizzie could not have walked on the upper floor now if you could be sure of that there would be some test in it if you did not see a track through freshly fallen snow you would say no person had passed there it would be a little more doubtful about walking on a floor but when you find a detective looking after this thing you begin to suspect that he may be in error and when you find as you do by the testimony a half a dozen or more people up there in that barn walking around before mr medley got there at all as it was proved upon the testimony there had been when he got there and when he met mr fleet and where he met him between the gateway and the back steps and then went directly into the house sawyer being at the door you see how unreliable his testimony is well then you have the testimony of mr clarkson and you have that of mr manning and mr stevens and the two boys that called themselves me and brown barlow and brown now those boys like all boys just the same as you and i when we were boys wanted to go upstairs to look at things about there and stay as long as they could and it appears they went there and were out in that barn before mr medley came in he went into the house and talked with miss lizzie and was some minutes in the house before he went to the barn so when he got there there had been people all about there and those people give their testimony in such a way as to carry the conviction of truth in their statement so that you find them up there and walking around in the very place where mr medley went to look and it shows you that mr medley must have been in error his detection was not so sure as he thought he was mistaken about it consequently while he may have honestly meant what he said i do not call that in question for the time being but i want to say that that is not anything which you can depend upon under these circumstances and when you find him confronted with three or four other witnesses john donnelly and the boys and clarkson there can be no question that mr medley is mistaken so that we have in addition to the positive proof that miss lizzie went to the barn to which i called her attention this morning the affirmation of these other witnesses that they were there and mr medley finds nobody to support him why do you not all think with me of what a blessed providence it was that interfered with that girl so that as she walked about that house passing from the sitting-room into the dining-room at hall she did not step on some of the blood and have it on her shoes anybody else according to the theory of the government could have stepped on that blood and have bloody shoes but if lizzie had walked there just the same as any other person innocently and there had been so much as a pin-head stain upon one of her shoes 
it would have led her to the severest penalty on their theory see within what close limitation we walk in commonest things and see how close we come to precipitate of danger when we find any part in the wrong why upon the theory of the government no it isn't the theory of the government for i really do not know what it is but the handleless hatchet down there in the box the theory being for the time if it is a theory and is indulged that she ran down and put that through a course of washing scraping with ashes etc and threw it up in the box after breaking the handle off as claimed and then got rid of the handle they say that they found it there and put it right up into the box to which she directed bridget to go with the officers and find the hatchets and axes why gentlemen she is not a lunatic or an idiot she is a great colossal contriver of wrong and murder shrewd discriminating far-seeing with premeditated malice aforethought and planned all this thing well she did not plan so foolishly as that she would not send officers to find the very thing and in the very place where she had put it she burned no clothing that day she put none away they tell us nothing about that with all the vigilance of their searches and you know that the officers say that when they went there first and looked in that box down cellar they took out the two smaller hatchets that were on top now whatever the theory or any theory of the government in regard to that hatchet you have got to assume she was down there and washed it up and got it all clean beyond what science can do and got the blood out of it and then broke off the handle and went herself and took out the other two hatchets so as to get this old one underneath and then she had it all covered with ashes too and when they found it that thursday afternoon it was all dry and covered with dust like the other they undertake to tell you it was coarser dust just to see what a labyrinth of impossibilities and improbabilities they try to lead this woman then she had to run upstairs run up to her own room and make a change run down cellar and take care of herself and take care of the hatchets upon their theory run back again and get up there and call bridget all in that short space of time i said it was morally and physically impossible you may find her not guilty if that be your judgment for two reasons one because you know that it has not been proven and the court will tell you that if when you reach that point in your decision you are not satisfied and convinced as reasonable men beyond a reasonable doubt no matter what your suspicion may be and what you may think about it otherwise you have but one duty to perform and one that is safe to you to render in this case you may have heretofore thought things looked dark for her you may have said if they can come into the court and show all the things i have seen in the newspapers gossip and rumour and report i might feel that i ought to but now that i find the government's case only the thing that it is insufficient weak contradictory critical lame why i have nothing else to do in my conscience but to say to massachusetts we have this woman in charge you have not proved it against her we still keep charge of her and we say to you you have not proven this against her and she is not guilty but there is another ground if when you see through this evidence you are satisfied again convinced which is more you are convinced affirmatively that the woman is innocent that you are entitled to say not guilty and you are bound so to speak it is rare that the defendant goes so far as to prove her innocence it is not a task that is set before her but i dare to speak to you upon that branch of this case with full confidence look at her for a period take the facts as they are and i would not misrepresent or belittle any of them i have not knowingly omitted any of them for a purpose of benefit to the defendant take them as they are what is there to prove to you absolutely as sensible men the innocence of this defendant you go and search some other man's house and let me alone search somebody else i think he had some trouble with my father that would be the policy of such a defendant what was her conduct uniformly openly frank every time shutting all the doors against any person that might be put under this foul suspicion why you say shutting them against herself yes it was the impulse the outcome of an honest woman were she a villain and a rascal she would have done as villains and rascals do there was her uncle john morse suspected as you heard followed up inquired about and she is asked and she said no he did not do it he went away from the house this morning at nine o'clock someone said bridget did it 
now there were but two persons around that house as we now find out so far as we can locate anybody and the busy finger was pointed at bridget sullivan bridget sullivan only an irish girl working in the family working for her weekly pay been faithful to them been there two years and nine months lived happily and peacefully with them and they have had no trouble and lizzie spoke out right determinedly as you know and promptly why bridget did not do it then somebody said why the portuguese on the farm no says lizzie he is not a portuguese he is a swede and my father has not had any men that ever worked for him that would do that to him not alfred johnson that worked for them not mr eddy another farmer that worked for them no assistant i cannot believe it of any of them how do you account for that except in one way she was virtually if she was a criminal virtually putting everybody away from suspicion and leaving herself to stand as the only one to whom all would turn their eyes suppose she had been wicked and designing and bridget as innocent as bridget is to-day suppose lizzie had undertaken to tell something that would involve bridget would it not have been easy and it might have been then if she had led the way in treachery and repeated crime lizzie might have led bridget right into the toils in which she herself became involved to the relief of bridget by her statement that bridget is not to be suspected it is not every human being who can stand that strain it is not every man that has strength of purpose and purity of mind did she ever stand in the way or her sister likewise go search everything we will come and help you open everything we will join you find out all you can do all you want to here never a sign of reluctance never an intimation of objection is the unanimous testimony of everybody that went there they say she was cool thank the lord there was enough left of her so that she could be cool under the visitations of gentlemen who flocked there by the score her clothes her dress her unmade dress her shoes her stockings everything her absolute freedom from the marks of the crime her readiness to do anything that was wanted and then that scene of saturday night which transcends all in exhibition of innocence there has been that woman shut up in that house the premises crowded by the police she was virtually under arrest she could almost feel the pressure of a hand upon her arm and in that house on that saturday night were the mayor and city marshal of fall river and in the parlour they called her her sister and uncle together and then they began that advising them now notice how it was done for this is an essential part of their case they advised them that the family had better remain in the house miss lizzie says why well the mayor says mr morse perhaps can tell you it was something that occurred down street last night and then comes the question that from there morse went down street and had some trouble now that seemed to indicate that mr morse was probably under suspicion and lizzie spoke at once as they spoke of putting officers around the house and said why is there anybody in this house suspected and the mayor says i regret to say miss borden that you are suspected then she says i am ready to go now or at any time gentlemen murderers do not talk that way criminals are not so situated as to have committed this great and monstrous wrong and then have that superb quietness of spirit and that confident feeling that wrong may be done her in the charge that is made and the assurance within herself that god knowing it she is free and pure gentlemen as you look upon her you will pass your judgment that she is not insane to find her guilty you must believe she is a fiend does she look it as she sat there these long weary days and moved in and out before you have you seen anything that shows the lack of human feeling and womanly bearing a word more there must be no mistake gentlemen that would be irreparable there can be but one mistake which nobody can ever write and for which there can never be any atonement to her if you make a mistake as against the commonwealth that is something which the future may correct but if you go wrong as to this woman now and go to the length of saying that she is guilty and you have done it upon insufficient grounds and the improper findings the case and the woman have gone beyond your control and so far as you can know beyond the power of man to condemn her as guilty of the diabolical crimes that have been described to you when there remains any reasonable doubt in the minds of any one of you of the true verdict 
would be so deplorable an evil that the tongue can never speak its wickedness we say the crier utters it god save the commonwealth of massachusetts and the prayer is heard in the prosperity of the old bay state but little it amounts to if we hear some one pray to god for his guidance of the old commonwealth that when we have a prisoner in charge we forget that we can do a good deal towards saving the commonwealth and all her people it will be little worth preserving if the innocent are to be executed and one calamity and wrong step fast upon the heels of another and that too under the forms of law made as well to shield the innocent as to punish the guilty do i plead for her sister no do i plead for lizzie andrew borden herself yes i ask you to consider her to put her into the scale as a woman among us all to say as you have her in charge to the commonwealth which you represent it is not just to hold her a minute longer and pleading for her i plead for you and myself and all of us that the verdict you shall register in this most important case shall not only command your approval now unqualified and beyond reasonable doubt but shall stand sanctioned and commended by the people everywhere in the world who are listening by the telegraphic wire to know what is the outcome as to her she is not without sympathy in this world she is not having people by day and by night thinking it is not to be found out in massachusetts that so great a wrong against her can be committed as to condemn her upon the evidence that has been offered gentlemen with great weariness on your part but with abundant patience and intelligence and care you have listened to what i have had to offer so far as you are concerned it is the last word of the defendant to you take it take care of her as you have and give us promptly your verdict not guilty that she may go home and be lizzie andrew borden of fall river in that blood-stained and wrecked home where she has passed her life so many years End of chapter thirty part three